Welcome to Celebration Church Online. We are so glad that you've joined us. We want you to share this broadcast with as many people as you can. We believe that it will bless and encourage us all in this season. Remember to continue reaching out to your loved ones. Stay connected with each other, especially with your cell family. The Bible gives us a pattern to look out for one another. Let's speak His word and His strength will carry us through. Continue checking our social media platforms for updates on Facebook and WhatsApp. We encourage you to share this content with all your friends and family. Today, I want to welcome you all home. And, uh, amen. And I want to look at the parable of the prodigal son. And I want to explore the relationship between the father, the younger son, and the older son. And I want to do this in the context of the intertwined relationship of the family with this view in mind. The view in mind of the love and the respect that should be the key values of the church. If you view this from the perspective of home, there should be a value of love and respect in every home, including our church home. So, Welcome Home is the title of the message, but it's also the title of probably, like I said, the next nine months, because I just feel like we need to build that sense of family. We need to invite the hurting in. We need to invite those that have not navigated this COVID crisis very well in. Others of you have done amazingly. You found new purpose. Some of you new jobs, new means of income, new careers. God was faithful. Others of you found out you didn't know God as well as you thought you did. Others knew that he was your anchor. And we want all of you to come into a deeper relationship with each other and with him. So we're coming out of this corona, COVID-19 crisis and most of us are so excited to get back together and I just can't help feeling that this is a, a new beginning. I think in the word of the year I said that there would be a new beginning and I, I can't help but think that this is kind of a, a, a new beginning. And so I, I, as I start this series on Welcome Home, it's uh, this series that I want to start talking about the core values of Celebration Churches International. Who we are. Why do we hold those values? These values determine how we behave. They determine how we respond to situations that we're facing. And not only as we come back from the COVID shutdown, but into the future of the church and of our church movement that God has given us. What this means is if you walk into any celebration church anywhere in the world, they may have different styles, but you will experience people that are living out our core values. We have always had a strong value around building people, building dreams, and building the kingdom of God. But we have also created a culture of service, a language of love, a currency of faith, a method of teams, an attitude of gratitude, a standard of excellence, a lifestyle of cells, and a mandate of action. Boy, with all these great values, I think it goes without saying that we have one overarching value that focuses on putting God first. How many of you know that God himself is everything? He and his son Jesus and the power of his Holy Spirit, the triune God, the three in one, is the center of our focus. And other values are great, but without our focus on him, those values 
will miss the mark. Secondly, we have an attitude of love and respect that leads us into our kingdom mindset. Without love and without respect, we cannot advance the kingdom of God. So we'll begin exploring our core values over the next few weeks. But today, I want us to talk about love and respect as seen through the relationship of the three characters that we find in this parable that Jesus taught, the famous parable of the prodigal son. Jesus in this parable is wanting to redefine the culture for the people that he's relating it to. You see, you have to understand there's a lot more to Jesus's teaching than just cute stories. As for you and me, as we face the same challenges today that they faced, I want us to think about it as how this might refine or redefine our culture, how we see the culture in Zimbabwe and in the church. So in Luke, the 15th chapter, if you want to turn there, we're going to read from the 11th to the 32nd verse. It's quite a lengthy passage. And he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. It's a very important statement. He, he divided unto them his living. Not many days after that, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far, far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son saith unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put, a, put it on him, bring a ring and put it on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring his of the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering saith to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at one time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. 
It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Now, we all know this story. I think we've read it a hundred times. But I want you to understand that there are a few parts of this story that would have been shocking to the people back in those times in the Eastern or the ancient Near Eastern cultures. This would have been something that would have uh, offended their sense of culture, their sense of life. In the beginning of Luke, the 15th chapter, I didn't read this, but you have two other stories. It begins uh, with Jesus explaining uh, uh, two other parables before he gets to this one. And he's, first of all, it says that he's talking to a group of tax collectors and sinners that are gathered around Jesus and that there are Pharisees that are watching on. This is quite a mixed crowd. You have sinners, tax collectors, and then the religious people of the day. Very, very religious people. And in Verse 15, it says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered under their breath saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I can just hear the hiss of the serpent in that, can't you? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, there's something about the way the devil speaks into the hearts of men especially religious men. They sit in judgment. They can see evil in everything. I think Jesus thinks to himself, he says, he says, how can I show these people, socially unaccepted people, and these really religious people, what's the point of all this? What is the point of me teaching? What, 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 what's really God's heart? So Jesus tells a few stories, stories that people can relate to, people that they could relate to at that time. Now realize that you have to understand that these stories were radical at the time. So what Jesus teaches is how there, he's, he's pointing out that there's an initiating, loving God, a God who initiates his love into the hearts of others. Jesus first told the parable about the lost sheep. How a shepherd leaves behind the 99 to go after the one. I want you to see something. He says that God will go after one out of a hundred. One out of a hundred. He says There's, that's how important you are. God loves you so much that he'll leave the 99 good sheep to find the one that strayed. Then he tells the story or the parable of the lost coin, how a woman looks everywhere for her lost coin. And she was so happy when she found it, she threw a party. But this is the story about one in 10. There were 10 coins, one was lost. Jesus is saying that God will come after one in 10. So important that we understand it. And then finally a parable about the lost sons. Now he's narrowing things down. Can you see that? He's beginning to narrow the stories down. Each story is getting a little bit more personal, a little bit closer to home. And now we're talking about the lost sons. 
In the story of the prodigal, both the fathers, both of the father's sons, not just one, both of the father's sons were actually lost. We don't find that out until a little bit later in the story, but they were both lost. You see, when the younger son returns to the father, the father's so happy that he throws a party, a big party. But this story is a little different from the other two parables. Because in this story, in the story of the prodigal, not only does Jesus talk about how happy he is to find something that was lost, he also describes and talks about the things that were lost. There's three characteristics, or I should say at least there's three characters in this parable. The father, the father remains constant throughout the parable. The father never changes. The father is really a depiction of Almighty God. The Bible speaks of our Father in heaven as the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, no shadow, no turning. God is constant. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we need to have that picture firmly in our minds. And Jesus paints this picture of the Father, and he's clearly depicting the Heavenly Father. Then we have the younger son, who's rebellious, but ending up with a surprise party. And then we have the older son who has everything but is still angry. In verse 12, the younger son asked his father to divide his property. Uh, this is so offensive in this culture. The Greek word for property is bios, where we get the word biology, which literally means he's asking his father to divide up his life for him. Now this is shocking to the culture of the day divide up your livelihood, your life. Because in this day, parents were supposed to be and were highly respected. They were highly honored, highly loved. So here's what it's like it's saying. It's like this young boy is saying to his father, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. In fact, I couldn't care less if you die. You mean nothing to me. That's the message that he's sending. And, and, and Jesus knows how offensive, how odious this is to the people he's speaking to. And then it says that he went to a far, far away country wanting nothing to do with his father. And he saying to the father, I don't want you to be involved in any part of my life. He's really saying, let me live the way I want to live. Just leave me alone. So the people during Jesus' time probably think, well, all right, this, is, this story is going to be quite short. In fact, that's the end of the story. Because this insulting is not acceptable in our culture. The father is the head. He should be highly respected. The father should just simply slap the kid and tell him, you're disowned, and that's the end of it. And that would have been what would have happened in this kind of a situation in this culture. And the young man probably would not have received his inheritance for this kind of a disgrace. He would have been disowned. But Jesus goes on and has the father do the unthinkable. He actually divides up his property between them. We don't know. The Bible doesn't 
say, but he may have had to sell off a portion of the land or do something to give this son the share of his inheritance. He's having his life torn apart by the insensitivity, the greed of this young man. He is enduring the pain to maintain the love that he has for his son. According to the culture at that time, the older son would be the one that would receive what was called the double portion. I know we have preachers today that talk about the double portion. I'm going to give you double of what I have. How can I give you double of what I have? I, I can't only give you what I have. Come and come forward and I'll lay hands on you. You'll get double of my anointing. That's ridiculous. The double portion has nothing to do with doubling up. It has to do with the portions. In this case, there's two sons. So the elder son would get two-thirds and the younger son would get one-third. The pie would be divided into three parts. The inheritance would be three parts. If there were six children, it would be divided into seven parts. And the elder son would get two portions, a double portion. You follow what I'm saying? The double portion has to do with a measure, not these crazy things that we do in Pentecostalism. So in this case, the younger son took one-third of what the father had and left. And what was ever left belonged to the elder son. As the story unfolds, we see that the younger son comes back after he has spent everything, after he's abused it and misused it, and he's come to the realization somehow that he was wrong and how wrong he was. And now we have a second cultural anomaly. When the father sees him afar off, the father runs to him and hugs him. Now in those days in the Middle East, in Middle Eastern, and even today, Middle Eastern men don't run. Elders don't run. Children could run, but the heads of households never ran. And this would have probably been awkward for that father to do. He would have had to tuck up his garment up into his belt and not having been in the habit of running much I'm just seeing this guy run it's like you know but this would have been a scandal in that culture I mean this is highly offensive to think of the father who's running to meet this son who treated him so badly first of all to run secondly in their minds this just doesn't make sense and I think another aspect that's shocking about this parable for the people at that time centers around the people's view of God for tax collectors and sinners and people that had no relationship with God Jesus is saying don't think that God doesn't love you don't think that you're too far away from God that he doesn't have his eyes on you. No matter how far a land you think you are away from God, no matter how far you think you've drifted, don't kid yourself. God knows you. God knows exactly where you are. In the 21st verse, we see the younger son has made this plan to deliver this eloquent speech. And he's been thinking about it all the way back home from this far, far land that he's gone to. And he's practiced this whole speech about how he's so sorry and he'll work for his father. He'll just be a servant. He'll just be a slave. But as he begins to say this speech, the father cuts him off right there, stops him. And the father's response in the story is absolutely staggering. It's amazing. He says, I'm not going to wait for you to clean up. I'm not going to wait for you to prove yourself. You're not going to earn your way back into the family. 
That's not how you can come back home. Instead, the father says, kill the fatted calf, bring a ring, put it on his finger, put shoes on his feet, put a robe around his back, and let's celebrate. The father, in essence, is saying, welcome home. Son, welcome home. And that's what God says to every one of his children. That's what he's saying to every one of us. Welcome home. This picture symbolized the father restoring the sonship for the younger son. With that, he welcomes his younger son home and restores him to his place at the table. By the way, his place had never been taken away. As we return from the so-called COVID crisis, there are many, some today, many more will come in the days and the weeks to come, who are prodigal sons and prodigal daughters. I want us all to be like the Father in our approach to how we receive our fellow brothers and sisters. Inside this house and in every celebration church throughout our movement is a place of grace. It's a place of grace. Our churches are a place for acceptance, respect, and love. We're saying this, I'll take you as you are right now. You know, it doesn't matter how you come to church. We'll accept you as you are. Now, we won't let you stay the way you came. We'll help you. We'll help you find a place of restoration and restitution and repentance and we'll help you. All three parables that Jesus told have the same theme. It's about God. It's about God initiating his lavish love on us. Initiating and lavishing. That's two good words. In our churches, we need to do the same. When people come here, especially those of you that are here today, most of you are family members. We are the ones that should be like the Father. Initiating our love and lavishing love on whoever walks through these doors. Don't wait for somebody to recognize you. Don't think that you're the one that needs to be greeted. You're the greeters now. You're the lovers. You're the ones that have been here forever. Tap your neighbor, say, well, look at him, wink at him, pull your mask down, smile at him, whatever you need to do. But let him know that, hey, you're the one he's talking about. The father never changed. From the day the son left until the day that the son comes back, the father's watching. He's just there, waiting to welcome us home. To welcome us home. In 1 John, the fourth chapter, verses 19 through 21, the Bible says this. It says, we love him because he first loved us. I love this passage of scripture because I know that we all think we love God so much, but I can tell you something. I don't love God because I wasn't looking for God before I got saved. I promise you I was serving the devil quite well. But God found me, and God loved me, even though I was an enemy of God. And I love him today because he first loved me. 
goes on to say, if a man say I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Don't tell me how much you love God until I see how much you love your brother. We love because he first loved us. You know, and it all comes from God. I know that. Everything initiates from God. But there's a second part to it. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister also. You know, the story of the prodigal son, Jesus didn't tell us this story as a counseling tool for Christian parents with rebellious children. I know that's how we use it a lot. It was told by Jesus to Pharisees, tax collectors, and it was to unpack the lavish love of God that he has for all mankind. And it was to show us the love that we as children of God should have to those who are around us. After the father shows how much love he has for the younger son, we now tackle the situation with the older son. By now the older son is the one who's staying outside the house. In fact, throughout the story, the older son never comes in. He didn't come into the house. This older son is the good one, the obedient, the dutiful son. He's the one who never disobeyed the father and he works hard. But when he heard that the brother was back, he was not happy. In fact, why was he unhappy? Well, it's about something that's very important, especially to men. Not respect. That's the second most important thing for a man is to be respected. But the most important thing, meat. Meat. You see, the big deal is the fattened calf, the bry, the barbecue beef. You see, in Middle Eastern culture during that time, the people didn't often have meat in their meals. Remember, this is before the time of refrigeration. If you kill a beast, you have to eat all the meat. And you have to do it all at once. So, if you kill a chicken, you can feed a family. If you kill a goat, you can feed a group of friends. But if you kill a fattened calf, you can feed a whole village. The most expensive thing you could do is to kill a fattened calf. And this means a big party. The younger said, wait a minute. According to what the younger brother did, he deserves nothing. But you gave him a bry? You're celebrating with the whole village? Here I am, I'm working so hard for you and I didn't even get a goat. I don't really care whether my brother's dead or alive. You killed the fattened calf. And there it is. This is how we know the other brother also didn't know the heart of his father. The younger brother, or the younger son, wants the father's things. And so he demands his inheritance. But the older son is also using the father to get the things he wants. The status, the wealth, the blessings to fulfill his own agenda. 
His relationship with the Father is also broken. And we have several hints of the level of dysfunction. And we can see them throughout this whole passage. First of all, in verse 25, it says, When he heard the music and the dancing, he didn't go into the house and ask the Father what was going on. No, no, no. Instead, he asked a servant. He didn't have enough relationship with his father to go inside and check it out for himself. So he triangulated and he worked through a servant. Even though he's working hard, he doesn't know why he's working hard. There are many today that know the hows of Christianity, they just don't know the whys. There's so many Christians today that are working really hard at how to be a good Christian, how to do everything right, how to pray and how to fast and how to, and they, and they think that by doing the hows is going to give them everything they want. But God's not interested in the hows, he's interested in a relationship. Why? Why did God save you? Why did God want you to be a part of his family? So you could work hard for him? No. So that you would have relationship with him. And yes, we'll work hard for him and work hard with him, but not because I can add that and earn my salvation or earn anything from him, but because I love him and because he loves me and I have communication with him. Anything you and I do that adds to what Jesus already did is works-based and can never satisfy righteousness. There's no communication with the Father. I think this is best depicted in the lives of many Christians when they do not have a healthy prayer life with God, their Heavenly Father. They're so busy working for God that they don't have time to talk to Him. When we leave or we wander away from God's heart, we tend to start getting focused on ourselves. We focus on our own agendas. This often leads believers from having a mindset of a son to adopting the mindset of an orphan. There are many Christians that are orphaned in their spirits, orphaned in their hearts. That means that they don't really believe that anything belongs to them. So they have to grab and grasp for it. When we have an orphan mindset, we become jealous. We make comparisons, we isolate, we have feelings of a sense of lack, poverty, minded, poverty mindedness. We have this idea that there's not enough to go around and somebody else might get ahead in life. We can very easily become like this older brother was to his younger brother. We find it hard for us to give compliments. What if the other gets person gets more praises than I do? What if they get more notoriety? What if they're acknowledged more than I am? It's difficult to forgive the prodigals, the ones who have broken our trust or lied or cheated or have stolen from us. But that's not the culture God wants. That's not what God says. You see, when a relationship is broken, we see it manifested in the way that the older son treated his father. In fact, the older son is actually rude to his father. He said, look all these years I've served you. I've worked for you. I mean, just the whole tone. He didn't even call him father. He said, look, look. 
And Jesus, I'm sure, emphasized this tone. You see, when we're rude to other people, what we're really saying is that I'm more important than you are. The older son completely missed the point. He humiliated his father by not joining the party. And again, it is the father who has to come out from the party, out of the house, and to beg him to come inside. Here it is, the same patient, loving father that's pleading with him. The father says, all that I have is yours. Your place at the table is secure. It always has been. Now, I hate this story. You know why I hate this story? Because the story ends right here. I have the same feeling with a lot of movies these days. They have these movies where they kind of leave it hanging. I hate those things. You watch the whole movie and you're, and you're waiting for the punchline and it's like, don't do this to me. They're called cliffhangers. And that's what Jesus did. He just left it hanging. We don't know what happened. We don't know what happens for the rest of the story. Did the family unite together? Did the older son join the party? Did they live happily ever after? I don't know. We don't know. He doesn't say. Why does Jesus end the story like this without an ending? Because while this story turns everyone's view completely upside down, it also demands an answer from the listener. You don't know who God is. And you think you're not loved. You're wrong. The Father wants to welcome you home. You're a Christian and you think your work is what pleases the Father. You're wrong. The Father loves you no matter what you do. The Father's love is not conditional, it's totally unconditional. And we cannot comprehend that. We actually think that God is somehow unjust. Here's my question today. Can you and I make room for others to come home as well? Can you do that? Well, you can't unless you first fix your broken relationship with the Father. If you're not right with the Father, you will have a hard time welcoming one of the prodigals home. Let's make this parable a little bit more relevant to today's world. If Jesus were to talk to us today, what would this story look like? Well, instead of goats and a calf, maybe the story goes that the younger son failed all his tests, but he gets an I-12 iPhone from dad. And the older son is mad because he only got a hand-me-down Samsung 3G or S, Galaxy S3. Sound familiar? Or maybe the younger son is someone who feels like God didn't show up the way that he had hoped or expected. So they're left and are saying, stay out of my life, I'll stay out of yours. They, they're, they're blocking God because they didn't get what they wanted. For years they've been going to church. They've been far away and haven't invited God into their decisions for a long, long time. They may be involved in things that would shock you. Shock me. I don't think I can get shocked anymore. I think I've heard it all now. 
After 42 years of pastoring in Zimbabwe, 45 years of ministry, I think nothing could shock me anymore. But you might be shocked at some things people do. Some of your brothers, some of your sisters. See, we have to understand that all of that kind of living, that living away from God leads to a place of famine in people's lives. For some people to walk through the back door of this church would be a great humiliation to them, a great humbling. And they would have to be very, very hungry to come back home. Today, many are ashamed to come home. But God and we as his people need to be ready like the father in this story to welcome our brothers and sisters, to welcome our prodigal brothers and sisters back and help them into a place of restoration. Or maybe the older son is someone who's jealous. There seems to be a lot of jealousy in the body of Christ these days. I recall a story of a young woman who was beautiful with long hair, smart and elegant. And at 19 years of age, she was living in the world. She was living a very worldly life with her college roommate who was a Christian. And her Christian roommate had been witnessing to her for four years, to no avail. During those four years, the unbelieving roommate would relate her dream nearly every day. This young woman's dream was she was to get married by 24, have kids by 28. She ended up doing exactly that, plus she bought two apartments and a house. Fifteen years later, she became a Christian too. The roommate relates that her response when she heard about her former roommate getting saved was, Seriously, God? Seriously? Her attitude was, she literally has everything, including you, and I served and I sweated for you for the past 15 years, and I still don't have what I want. Don't look at anybody, don't turn red, and nobody will know I'm talking about you. Where are you standing right now? Are you standing inside the house or outside of the house? Oh, I know that you're inside the church today, the house of God that we call this for the first time in a long time physically. But where's your heart? Where's your heart? Is it in the house? Is it really here? Is he in your heart? 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Verse 21, anyone who loves God must also love their brothers and sisters also. See, God welcomes us home as we are, but to bring us home, to bring us back, cost him a lot. There's a great cost involved. Let me close with this story. It's a story of a man named Ernest Gordon. And he wrote a book called The Miracle on the River Kwai. Ernest Gordon was a Scottish prisoner of war in World War II, and he wrote the book Miracle on the River Kwai to tell the story of his experience at the hands of his Japanese captors as he and his fellow soldiers, prisoners of war, were forced to work on the Burma-Siam Railway. The cost of construction and to construct the Burma-Siam Railway was astronomical. Almost 250 people per kilometer died on the railway as they built it. 
The prisoners were forced to labor under inhumane conditions, oppressive heat, tropical diseases, stinging insects, and inadequate food. They were living in the midst of very harsh environment of the Thai jungle. The Japanese guards were mean, they were crazy, they were sadistic. Many prisoners died because of this brutal environment. The prisoners of war became like frightened, cornered animals. They adopted an extreme survival mentality. Both captors and soldiers were motivated primarily by fear and by hate. It's like they were living in hell. The atmosphere in which they lived was poisoned by selfishness and hatred and fear. People just looked out for themselves. The weak were trampled underfoot, the sick ignored, and the dead forgotten. When a man lay dying, there was no word of mercy. When someone cried out for help, no one turned their heads. Hate was the only motivation for the living. They hated the Japanese. Then one day, a shovel, a shovel changed everything. At the end of the day, the tools were collected and had to be accounted for to make sure no one stole any tools. But one day a Japanese guard shouted that a shovel was missing and demanded to know which man had taken it. He began to rant and rave, working himself up into a paranoid fury and ordered whoever was guilty to step forward. No one moved. All die, all die, he shouted. And he took his rifle and he started to aim randomly at the prisoners, ready to shoot. At that moment, one man stepped forward. The guard clubbed him and beat him until he died. The prisoners watched, but no one said anything. When everyone returned to the camp, the tools were counted again, but this time, no shovel was missing. Soon, everyone realized what had happened the first time. It was that there was a miscount. Word of this spread like fire throughout the whole camp. An innocent man had been willing to die to save the others. This one man's selfless sacrifice completely changed the camp's atmosphere. People started to question, what is the meaning of life? Why did he do that? Is there a God and am I ready to meet him? The men began to treat each other like brothers with care and with kindness. Something happened. They no longer felt their lives belonged to themselves anymore. The reason that they were alive is because of what that man had done. Gordon describes the effect in his book. Here's what he says. Death was still with us, but we were slowly being freed from its destructive grip. We were seeing for ourselves the sharp contrast between forces that made for life and those that made for death. Selfishness, hatred, envy, jealousy, greed, self-intelligence, laziness, and pride were anti-life. Love, heroism, self-sacrifice, sympathy, mercy, integrity, and creative faith were the essence of life. Turning mere existence into living in the truest sense. These were gifts of God to men. Oh, there was still hatred, but there was also love. There was death, but there was also life. God had not left us. He was with us, calling us to live the divine life in fellowship. 
something has changed inside these prisoners of war because they experienced something. They, because they experienced something. They experienced sacrificial love. The sacrifice even impacted how the prisoners saw their Japanese captors. When the victorious allies finally swept into the camp, those Scottish soldiers were so thin and were all like walking skeletons. But they lined up in front of the Japanese soldiers and insisted that they were not to be killed. Can I tell you something? This is the power of sacrificial love. An innocent man drastically changed the nature of that camp. The Bible also tells us about this sacrificial love. When Jesus wanted to change the culture, he didn't just tell us a story. He was the only true innocent man who stepped to the front to take the punishment. He was not a prisoner of war. He is God. On the cross, there was God asking God, his Father. Father, why have you forsaken me? I did everything right. But still, he bore the pain. And he took the ultimate separation from God so that God can say to us, Welcome home. Welcome home. God's saying that to you and I today. Beloved, if God so loved us, John 1, 4, verse 11 says, we ought also love one another. Just imagine if we as a community who have experienced God's lavish love as much as we have would live this out. Then maybe there'll be more that will join us at God's table and sit with us in his home, in this home. That's the family culture God has for us and wants for us. As I close, I want us to take a moment and reflect on our relationship with God. I want you to reflect, where are you at right now? Are you inside or are you outside of the house? Oh, maybe you've never entered the house. God is saying, I don't wait till you get cleaned up. I just want to welcome you in. Wherever you're at, it doesn't matter. God will take you as you are. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you need to ask yourself, how is my relationship? Not only with God, but with the other people in my life. How is your relationship with God? Are you unintentionally standing outside? What could be your brokenness today? What's breaking your heart? God is still pleading with you and God is saying, don't look at what I'm doing for other people. Look what I have done for you. I want you to come and be home with me. Welcome home. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for all that are here today. Father, my prayer is that you would do the work that only you can do. I've preached today. I've given your word, but only you can touch the hearts of a man or a woman. Only you can bring the prodigal home and we're here with open heart, hearts and open arms today to receive them, Lord. We'll love them as you would. 
Lord, do the work in our hearts. Father, where we've been critical or judgmental, forgive us. Forgive us. Where we've been in competition with our brothers and sisters in and outside of the body of Christ, God, forgive us. Help us to learn this lesson today. The lesson of the overwhelming, intentional love of a father who would leave the 99 to go after the one, who would leave the 10 to find the one, to search for it, and who would receive both the prodigal and the elder son unconditionally. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. We hope and trust that you've been blessed by this service. Stay connected with us through our social media platforms, Facebook and WhatsApp. As we go, stay safe, stay blessed, stay connected.